Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues the series on opposites with a look at hope or pessimism. Let's listen. All right, well, as you can see, we're in the midst of our series titled Opposites because the Bible often teaches by showing contrasting experiences of life, saying, well, it can be either this way or it can be this way, or, or go that way, but don't go this way. So today's opposite that we are going to study is hope or pessimism. Now I've got an image that I want you to think about when you think about hope. This is the image I want you to think about. So hope is believing that even if there's darkness all around you, even if that's your current experience, that hope means there's something greater on the horizon. There's something better that's still going to happen in the future. That is hope. Whereas pessimism would be standing there on the dock, being surrounded by darkness, saying this is all that there is. It's dark, that's my experience of life, and it's not going to get any better. Do you see the difference between hope and pessimism? Now, when thinking about hope, we hope for all sorts of different things, don't we? We place our hope in different things. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, earlier this year, my car started making a really funky noise. And so I called the mechanic and said, I think you need to see my car. And they could in a couple of days. So in those few days where I was driving it and it just wasn't sounding right, every time I turned the ignition, I hoped that my car would start. I was placing my hope in a rapidly breaking down car. Now, the stakes of that are pretty low, aren't they? Because eh, if the car breaks down, I'll call it a tow truck. It's inconvenient, but it's not the end of the world. But what about when we hope for things that have so much more meaning in our lives? I mean, do we dare hope that everything is going to turn out okay in our world? Do we dare hope that everything's going to turn out okay in my life, in our lives individually? Well, the premise of today's sermon is that I believe as Christians that we are people of hope, always and forever. And the sole reason for that is because we can place our hope in God. And God is the only thing in this world that will never disappoint you. So to explore this topic, we're going to read a story of a woman from the Old Testament who, because of challenging experiences in her life, had basically given up hope. So we're starting in 2 Kings, and you'll be introduced to a man named Elisha first, and he is a prophet in the Old Testament. Here's how this story begins. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man, who often comes our way, is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So right at the beginning of this story, we are introduced to a woman, but we're not told her name. 
In fact, for the rest of the story, we are not told her name. We just know that she is a well-to-do woman, which means that she and her husband have been financially successful in their lives. And they choose to, to set aside a, a portion of that to help Elisha, to provide for Elisha. They are using some of their wealth to build him a guest room onto their house. And we have to ask, why? Why would they do that for him? Well, she said it in her words. She believes that he is a holy man of God. And now Elisha was a traveling prophet. So God would tell him, I want you to go to this city, and you're going to deliver this message to them. And he would go. And then I want you to go to this city and deliver this message, and he would go. So Elisha was constantly on the move. But whenever he came through this town, they wanted him to have a warm bed to sleep in, a roof over their heads. They wanted him to have a comfortable place to stay. So they built an entirely new room onto their house. Now, a little bit later, Elisha, it turns out, is just thrilled with this act of generosity, and, and he wants to repay it. And so he says, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And if you keep reading, she says no to these requests. She's like, no, I don't, I don't need you to speak to the king. I don't need you to speak to the army commander. She basically says, I live a simple life here in this small town with my husband. We're okay. We don't need you to do anything for us. Well, Elisha and his servant, Gehazi, they always travel together. Uh, they keep talking about this because they are astounded by this woman's generosity. And, and so they keep talking and discussing, saying, how? How can we repay her for what she has done for us? And Gehazi, the servant, must have known something about the woman and her situation because he comes up with something, an idea. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. Elisha offers to pray for God to give her a child. Yes, she and her husband have not been able to have kids, and by now, they are advanced in years. So, how do you think this woman, who we still don't know her name, how will she respond to this news? I mean, will she be enthusiastic and so excited, saying, this, this is the thing I've been hoping for, longing for, and finally, it's happening? Or is she more one who needs to, like, go by herself and process a little bit? To think through, wow, okay, I'm, I'm going to have a child. I'd, I'd given up on that, but, but now it's going to happen. And, and then maybe, after she processed through it, then she goes and celebrates with her husband. It, are one of those two things going to be how she responds? The surprising part of this story is that she does not respond in either of those ways. Instead, we see this. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Have you ever hoped for something for so long 
and so intensely that it hurt, only to have the years pass by without it ever coming to fruition. If you have, I bet that that longing didn't disappear over those years. Maybe the intensity of it did, but that longing remained. And over time, I think what happens is we begin to try to guard our heart a little bit when the thing that we hope for just is not happening. And we kind of push down our hope for them. And we refuse to think about the possibility any longer, refusing to believe that the thing that we're hoping for will actually come true. For this woman, she had hoped for years to create a family, and a hope that never came true. And now, when faced with the possibility that this was actually going to come true, she just can't let herself get her hopes up again. She'd been disappointed too many times before. She had shut off, closed off that part of her life. She is protecting her heart. Now, what I want you to notice about this woman is that even though she no longer allowed herself to really hope for this, she hasn't gone over to, to bitterness or pessimism, has she? Uh, instead, she's come to a place, I think, of acceptance that she was not going to have a child, this thing that she really hoped for in her life. And instead, she and her husband are using resources and committing them to the things of God in the world. In this case, building a guest room for Elisha the prophet. Yes, this woman has all but given up hope of a child. But in the long story of God, God has not yet spoken. And so this happens next. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Yes, the utmost desire of her heart the thing that she'd been longing for, hoping for, has finally been fulfilled. What an incredible story, right? This is a miraculous story. And if the story ended here, we would say, what a good ending. Praise God. See what God can do in the world. I, I notice sometimes that when I have conversations with people, they say, you know, a challenging part of the Bible is how miraculous it is. It seems so different from, from my experiences, where I hope for things, and I don't always experience that miracle. But what I hope you realize is that the Bible is full of real stories about real people. And yes, there's miracles, and those want to be remembered. Those are captured in the scriptures. But the world of the Bible is the same world that we live in today, which means that the world can be harsh. The world is still full of disease, and this story doesn't end here. Instead, it, it takes a dramatic and, and really devastating turn. Here's what happens next. Years later, the child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. And after the servant had lifted him and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. 
So the child, the gift from God, dies in his mother's arms. And the mother, who'd hoped and prayed for so many years, now finds herself once again without a son. There are not always happy endings in this life, are there? What's worse, never having a deep hope fulfilled in your heart or having that hope fulfilled only to then later have it taken away? Well, for the rest of this story, I want you to focus on the character and the actions of this mother. How will she respond to such an unspeakable tragedy? Now, for many people, this would be kind of a natural time to, to give up on God, to say, God, I, I let you get my hopes up, and this is how painful this experience was, and so I'm guarding my heart, God. I'm not letting you in anymore. This would be a time in, in such utter disappointment to say, God, I, I just can't. I just can't engage anymore. It, it would be a time to turn from hope to pessimism from possibility in the world to maybe cynicism about the world. But what I want you to notice is that this woman does not do that. The woman does not give up on God and does not just give in to her pain. Instead, she does something quite incredible. Uh, Did you notice that she took the boy, and instead of laying the boy on his own bed, she took the boy and laid the boy on the bed of the prophet. And and after doing that, that in the room that she created for God, she closes the door. Now that's significant, because in this time period when a person died, they would begin funeral preparations right away. They would begin getting that body ready for burial right away. But she's saying no, no, not yet. No, I'm closing this door. And I'm not letting anybody in yet. She goes and and tells her husband that. She says, don't let anyone touch the body. And then she says, I need your fastest donkey because I'm going to go see Elisha. I'm going to go see the man who promised me I would have a son. And what she's actually doing here is she's going to meet with God. Elisha is God's representative in the world in her day and time. And so what she's saying is, I just went through the hardest thing that I've ever been through in my life. I need to go see God. I need to go confront my creator because of what I've had to go through here, because of the loss of my son. And so she finds out that Elisha is 15 miles away. And she gets on the fastest donkey that they own, and she takes off. And when Elisha, when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. Now, why would she say that? because everything is not all right. It's because she is on a mission. The mission is to go and be with God. The mission is to go and see Elisha, God's representative, and she's not gonna let anything get in the way of that mission. She's not gonna let a servant of Elisha, she's not gonna let a slow donkey, no, she has a singular focus of I need to go and see Elisha. And so, 
she goes, she sprints past Gehazi, and when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Now, normally, it would not be allowed to touch a prophet without their permission, but she doesn't care. No, she falls down at his feet. She grasps his feet. And even when Gehazi is trying to push her away, she's clinging on. She's holding on to him. Now, Elisha knows that something is is deeply wrong. Uh, The words he uses is, she is in bitter distress. The actual Hebrew for those words are, her soul is in deep anguish. What does she say in her anguish? She says, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Grief is one of those times that we are most susceptible to hopelessness. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, and so many other good books, he wrote a book after his wife died of cancer. It's called A Grief Observed, where he in his complete heartbrokenness and his agony, he puts the pen on paper and expresses his thoughts. I don't think I've read a book that so accurately describes what it feels like when you're going through those most painful times of life. I I wanna read just the beginning, the first couple of sentences from that book because that will give you a picture of it. He begins in this way. He says, no one ever told me That grief felt so like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep swallowing. To be in bitter distress, as he is after losing his wife, to be in deep anguish, as this woman in our story is, didn't I tell you Don't raise my hopes. What I hope you'll learn today is that for the Christian, hopelessness and grief and pain, they are only stops along the journey of life. They are never the permanent destination. Now, the Christian, I believe, can maintain a sense of hope in the midst of pain and despair because we believe that even in those times, God is still present. That God is still near to you, and God is still in control. Uh, We see that as you continue to read Lewis's book. Uh, He says, okay, after months of just feeling completely hopeless, uh, he woke up one day and expected to feel the same way he'd felt all those other months. He expected to feel sad, empty, lethargic, But instead, he woke up one day and he felt a spark of something, the spark of maybe a little bit of hope in his life. And at first he thought, well, that just must be the weather. He lived in England and he wrote in England and he said they just endured 10 days of those low gray clouds and overcast skies. And yet on this day, when he woke up, all of a sudden the sun came out and was warming his skin But he said, you know what? No, it really went deeper than that. On this particular day, he felt hopeful again. 
for the first time in a long time. And if you felt that before, you know it feels like a spark. Like, ah, something is possible in this world. And he says, he goes on to say in his book, the reason I felt like that is because I once again felt the presence of God near me. Now, God was present with him that entire time. God was present when he lost his wife. God was present those months after when he was in deep anguish and mourning. But sometimes we're not aware of it, are we? Sometimes our hearts are closed off and we're disconnected and we don't realize that God is there with us. But God is, always. And sometimes we just need the awareness that God is present with us to become true. So that became true for C.S. Lewis. And I think that becomes true for the woman in this story as well. Because yes, she's in deep anguish, but what did she do? She didn't just stay home. She didn't close the door and say, nobody bother me. She got on the fastest donkey they had and said, I need to go see the prophet. I need to go see God. And really, the woman, she chastises Elisha for having the audacity to raise her hopes of giving her a child, only to then have that child taken away. But even in her grief, she is pursuing God. So she's thrown herself at his feet because even a small part of her still believes that God can act. I believe that when we are feeling hopeless, this is how we must respond as well. We must confront God. Because God is there, God is present, and we need to say, God, this is the way I feel, and I need to go and talk with you. Like this woman, we can fling ourselves down at God's feet to say, I need some sort of idea that things are going to be okay. In response to her remarkable faith, Elisha now jumps on that donkey, and he goes as fast as he can 15 miles back to where she lived. And this is the end of the story. It says, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet once again, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. So the story does end up concluding with a very happy ending. The son is resurrected, and her pain and grief are only temporary. And sometimes our stories end up like that too, don't they? Where there's a dramatic reversal of fortune, and things end up producing a wonderful result. But other times, you just keep on hoping, and the years go on and on and on with seemingly no change in sight. Now, over the course of your life, there's a good chance that you're going to experience both of these things on the continuum. And that's why I want you to remember that as Christians, no matter where you find yourself, in those contrasting experiences today as you sit in these pews. As Christians, central to our identity 
is we are still people of hope. There's always something brighter on the horizon, something greater that's coming around the corner. The the pain or despair that you feel is always temporary, never final. Because of God, we can have hope always and forever. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.